It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. We are tracking breaking news coming out of the Utah Jazz Organization. Donovan Mitchell leaving Salt Lake City, reportedly heading for Cleveland for a handful of draft picks. It seems to be part of a continued trend with the Utah Jazz in terms of taking future prospects over present players. And uh, to help us break all of that down, really pleased to have joining us on the program, Ben Anderson. Of course, Ben is the Utah Jazz insider for uh, kslsports.com. And uh, Ben, first of all, just give us kind of a sense. What do we know for sure? What's everybody chatting about? Yeah, so the big parts of the deal are Colin Sexton, who's a guard, who was actually a free agent for the Cleveland Cavaliers. So they'll have to sign him. Uh, four years, $72 million, and the Jazz will end up paying that contract out. It comes with three future first-round draft picks that are unprotected, which is really the most valuable part of those. Wherever they end up in the draft, the Jazz will get those. We're not sure exactly the dates, but it will most likely be 2023, 2025, and 2027, so it could be pushed back two years on each of those. Uh, and then you get another two future draft pick swaps. So if Cleveland has a, a better pick than the Jazz, they could choose to to swap those picks, plus two additional players, including Cleveland's first-round draft pick from this year, O'Shea Ojabi, who is expected to be the best shooter from the draft. So it's a monumental move. It's a huge trade package the Jazz got back, but probably similar to about what they expected. I don't think this is a lot bigger than anyone had thought, what might be coming to the Jazz. Yeah, so let's, let's break that down just a little bit in terms of uh, what that actually means inside the organization. Again, a lot of this seems very future-focused. There are a few players in there. Let's, let's talk first about this strategy of building through this compilation of uh, a whole lot of draft picks that they've been picking up this summer. Yeah, you remember they already got four from the Rudy Gobert trade. Four, uh, three of those are unprotected, as I mentioned, the value there. Another one is very lightly protected in 2029, so that's way out there. You get three more here. You got another one when you traded Royce O'Neal earlier this year to the Brooklyn Nets. So you've acquired eight first-round draft picks this offseason alone in exchange for just three players. It's a, it's a pretty impressive haul, and that doesn't count those draft swaps, which you know the Jazz will at least probably activate one of those to move up in the draft at some point they will be better than the teams that they've traded for so that is really where the major value comes in and 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 anymore in the nba draft picks are kind of the ultimate iou they're the ultimate you know gold standard when it comes to trading pieces players they're hard to keep around long term you never know if they're going to stick around on your roster but this kind of hope that could be a good draft pick always has value so it sets the jazz up if they want to stay young for a long time they can do that but if they draft a good young player in the next year or two and they say he's worth building around, you then use those draft picks to go out and get other players to accelerate this rebuilding timeline that they're clearly on right now. Yeah, it really does give the Jazz multiple options. If they do get that ringer in the draft, they suddenly say, okay, we can we can build around that guy. Uh, then you've got options to go out and get a few uh, critical pieces of the puzzle to, to add and support there. Uh, talk to us just a little bit, Ben, in terms of what this does uh, inside the current locker room, uh, in terms of where people are, what kind of culture does this start to build? How is this part of the process? What happens? 
Well, honestly, I think this is just the, the the one first step of many more, or maybe if you look at back at Rudy Gobert and Royce O'Neal, the third step of what should be many more. Uh, the Jazz still have a ton of guards in the backcourt, too many to start the season with, and not a, depth, a lot of depth in the frontcourt. So uh, I, I expect in the next few days, I mean, training camp opens at the end of this month, you're going to see more trades. This is not the final roster for the Jazz. There will be more moves and probably potentially somewhat big moves. They've already moved the key pieces in Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, uh, but when you look at the Mike Conleys, Boyan Bogdanovich's, Jordan Clarkson's, even Malik Beasley, who they just got from the Minnesota Timberwolves, I think all of those names are available in trade talks, and, and I would watch to see where they end up. Yeah, this is uh, such an interesting uh, summer across the league in terms of how people are trying to play the game. Who's looking for pieces? Who's looking for, uh, to build for the future? Uh, interesting in this one uh, developing. I, you know, I know Cleveland was kind of in it, and they were kind of out. It was looking more Knicks or maybe the Washington Wizards being the main players. Anything uh, that you've picked up from your sources, Ben, in terms of how this changed or how this deal suddenly became the deal to be made? So Colin Sexton, who's the main player coming back to the Jazz, his name was floated as a target that I heard really early, even before the NBA draft. And that means it was before the Rudy Gobert deal. Mm. So they've been talking to Cleveland about this trade for, I mean, that, that was June 24th, I think was the draft. So mm. at least two months that this has been an option for them, at least some structure like this. Uh, they ended up finally pulling the trigger. I think what happened was when the Knicks extended R.J. Barrett on Monday, pulled him out of trade talks, the Jazz re-engaged with Cleveland because you're right. Last week, the report was that Cleveland had kind of backed off. The Jazz had said, no, we're going to look at another deal and must have felt like they were close with the Knicks. But when that fell through, they went right back. They said, hey, Cleveland, you still want to make a deal? They said yes, and that's how this got done. But but this was by no means you know something that came together quickly. This has been in the works for a long time. Yeah, and, and talk to us just for a second about the uh, the communication strategies. We always try to get to that on this program, and this is an interesting one for fans. Obviously, uh, Donovan Mitchell was a, a fan favorite. He was a, a leader. He was dynamic. Uh, he was young. Uh, what's the sell to the Jazz fan uh, in terms of what's been taking place? You have to sell this as, hey, you know, Danny Ainge and the team, uh, we're playing three-dimensional chess, and you're going to really love this down the road. Uh, is there something they can sell for the upcoming season? What does that look like? I do think you try and sell Colin Sexton as a part of this future team, and then a couple of the young players they've got. Now, you know, they have two rookies that were first-round picks in this last year's draft, which is actually ends up being pretty compelling. You didn't have any first-rounders. Danny Ainge tried to trade in and wasn't able to do it on draft night. And now you have two guys in Walker Kessler uh, and O'Shea Ogjabi, who I, who I talked about, who are, who are going to probably be a part of this team long-term if they can uh, develop and flourish and, and become the players the Jazz hope they do. So you do have a sense of what this team will look like. Laurie Markkinen, who is also in this trade, is quite young. He could be a part of them long-term. And Colin Sexton is a guy who, honestly, in the right scenario, uh, he's had some injuries the last couple of years, but he could potentially be representing the Jazz in the All-Star game come February if you kind of just give him the key to the franchise, you let him go off and take a lot of shots every night. He's a very, very high-caliber player, a high-talent player, where in the right scenario he could be an All-Star player. So that's, I think, what you're selling if you're the Jazz and you're trying to get fans to keep interest this season. All right, then just real quick, 30 seconds, uh, what's what's the next move? <laughs> I, I would keep an eye on Boyan Bogdanovich and Jordan Clarkson. I think those two have the most value. And again, this Russell Westbrook name has been thrown around so much with the Jazz, getting two more future first-round picks. I just wouldn't rule it out. I think that's probably still on the table. Uh, Fantastic. Great insight as always. The Utah Jazz insider, Ben Anderson. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. All right. uh, Great insight there on a breaking story. If you're just uh, getting in the car or moving along, uh, 
Donovan Mitchell heading to Cleveland, Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, for uh, a few players and a handful of future draft picks. And uh, this is, uh, I think this is three-dimensional chess going on inside the, the Jazz organization where they can take a flyer on some young talent. If the young talent emerges that you can build around, you can use a lot of those draft picks uh, to add some veterans around it uh, and hopefully produce a winning combination. All right, that wraps up hour number one of Inside Sources. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.